Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie. Wednesday morning, the 10th of July. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reed on LMFM. We begin this morning with uh, the very sad news on the occasion of uh, the death of Oliver Tully, a Fine Gael councillor and indeed resident of County Louth. He'll be mourned far and wide, in particular by friends and family in the Baltray area of County Louth, somebody who will be well known, though, across the region. First elected in 1991, he was elected as the mayor of Drogheda in 2000. And 11 and as uh, the last Cahirlik of Louth County Council for the current year. He had 37 years experience in education, including his uh, membership of uh, the Louth Meath Education and Training Board and passed away suddenly this morning. Uh, we'll uh, speak with a, a number of his old friends and colleagues over the course of uh, the morning uh, and uh, undoubtedly uh, many people will want to pay tribute to Oliver Tully, who was a very important member of our community. Fergus O'Dowd, TD, good morning to you and morning thank you for coming in to us uh, this morning. We're obviously just a, 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 absorbing this shock news this morning. Yes, no, it's very sad. It's, it's, it's very unexpected and our deepest sympathy of the whole town and the community goes to his good wife Eileen and his family Philip, Sarah, Amy and Evelyn and also to his grandchildren. We spoke about his grandchildren and my grandchildren not so long ago mm-hmm. and obviously his extended family. He's a huge personal loss to his family. He was a very dedicated family person. He was a brilliant teacher and he was he was the heart of his community. Anytime you met him, he was working. He wasn't a, a politician who looked for headlines, but he looked for results for the people who came to him. And he, he fought hard and successfully for his community. He was very much also in terms of golf. He was a, He's a, an mm-hmm. avid golfer and he's a former president of the Baltray Golf Club. And like he, his whole life is dedicated and giving. And I want to mm. say that. Okay, and we sadly missed. Yeah, you learned of this news. Uh, I just learned, learned this morning, and I was shocked to hear it. And I know the whole community is, and I know that his very good friends, his family friends, and people like Thomas Maguire. Mm. I met Thomas Maguire, who was a very close friend of his many mm. years ago. 
and he would the heart and soul of Fine Gael and obviously uh, the thing might be generally known about Oliver he worked in the party 100% he was responsible for running our election when Peter Fitzpatrick and myself got the biggest vote ever in County Loud and we got two seats Oliver was our director of elections and it's only last week we were talking to him mm. about he is director or he was director for election coming and we were going through the election ready process so really he was a very a very committed uh, you know words fail me really just he was a wonderful Mm. honest, hard-working, dedicated person. When, when, when did you first get to know Oliver? Well, I would have known Oliver years ago because uh, he was a teacher in the Christian Brothers and I was a teacher in Palace Street. It was that time called the Technical School. Mm. And Oliver and myself knew each other well. Uh, obviously, the late Dave Colgan would have been a very good friend of Oliver's. He was a teacher with me. And I've known him all my life, really. I mean, he's synonymous with teaching. He's synonymous with education. He was chairman mm. of the Education Training Board. Uh, he was much broader than just being a, a politician in the, in, you know, in the, in the sense people might, might see people mm. as. But he was, he was a genuine, he was, he wasn't somebody who would shout from the rooftops about mm. an issue, but mm. he was somebody who delivered. I can always remember, uh, like he would be out, you know, he had regular newsletters. Mm. He would call to people mm. and he knew everybody by yeah. their first name and he knew the problems, he knew the issues. Mm. And we worked together a lot, yeah. actually. And very involved in the community, very he involved was, yeah. in the parish. <coughs> uh, and quite often, as you say, somebody who you'd find sitting in uh, people's kitchens. Absolutely. Having a, a chat much. about their concerns. And, and knew sort of everything thing. and mm. uh, was very involved and re- everybody respected him and he respected mm. everybody as well, regardless. Okay. He wasn't a party politician in the yeah. divisive sense. Mm. He was he was a, a true community worker. Okay. Peter Fitzpatrick is on uh, the telephone. Good morning, Peter, and uh, thanks uh, for joining us. Uh, and like uh, Fergus O'Dowd and all of us here, uh, I'm sure uh, you're just trying to absorb uh, this news and uh, wish to pass condolences on to Eileen and the family. Michael, I'm absolutely shocked because uh, God, Oliver was such a healthy and very competitive individual. Like, as Fergus said earlier on, like, he did love his golf and he loved his football and he was an outdoor person. And, and like, to me, I'll always remember Oliver as a peacemaker because I actually got to know Oliver in 2010 when I first joined Fianna Gael and for the 2011 elections, he was director of elections and Fergus will tell you himself, like, uh, he had to hold himself and Fergus back many of the time and, and uh, to be honest, he, he was a pure and utter gentleman. All he loved was Fianna Gael. All he wanted to do was to help people and like when, when Maggie rang me this morning now, I couldn't believe it. Like of all people, like uh, I was talking to Anna McKenna there this morning and mm. she said she met him there last Sunday at the Oliver Plunkett Mass there and he was in good form and she didn't see him for a while and he back from his holiday and that there and like this man had everything to live for. Like he just loved loved politics, enjoyed politics. I was the I was the lady that he got re elected there in, in, in the local elections and if anyone deserved anything it was him and like even even when I left Fine Gael, you meet him and he, and he talked to you and just, as if nothing ever happened. Anytime you meet him out socially, he was always with Eileen. He's a, he's a family man. And, and like, I just, I want to give all my condolences mm. to his wife and his family and his grandchildren. Like, to me, he was, like, there's not too many people yeah. in, in politics that are gentlemen, but he was one of the real true gentlemen.
Okay, well, he was close on 30 years in politics uh, and uh, politics was in Oliver Tully's blood. He was a politician through and through and uh, one uh, of uh, the moments that I I know he enjoyed a lot was becoming uh, the mayor of uh, Drogheda. That was in 2011. Uh, And uh, I spoke to him, he came into us and I was asking him at the time what his hopes for the year ahead would be. My hopes and aspirations for the year ahead would be, of course, better roads for the community. Indeed. (laughs) Of people's minds at the mm. present point in time, but uh, we have a good roads program in County Lad. What we don't like doing is putting in these um, temporary measures rather than something that's more permanent. And because of that, over the years we had adopted a policy, I suppose, of tarmacking the roads rather than just surface dressing. Mm. So where we can tarmac, we do that or overlay, as they call it, which is be, could be three, four, five inches of blacktop. On top of what's there, it does last. Do you reckon it lasts between fifteen, maybe twenty years? Whereas if you just suffer stress, if you got five years of it, mm-hmm. he knew his stuff. Uh, there's no doubt about it. And that was at the time uh, people will remember the big winters of 2010 and 2011. <coughs> I think, and uh, the roads uh, were like uh, a, a bombed out part of Beirut at the time because of the potholes, and uh, there was a lot of pressure on uh, at the time about that. Uh, but uh, there was also questions uh, at the time about uh, the state of the country. It was a difficult time to take a, a senior position like that, wasn't it? It was, of course and he was up to the job <clears throat> I suppose they, you know, in, in, in essence you have Oliver there in, in that clip you paid that he's, mm. he, he's quite way of getting things done you know he did deliver he knew as you say every crossroads he knew every corner of the roads mm. but he also knew the people in the communities <clears throat> and, and the other point was that like he, he really dedicated himself you know to, to his public life he was always always available and I mean, the question of the flooding in Balfrey, we were down there last yeah. year. Mm. He was very, very much involved in getting mm. that problem solved. And, and uh, another big yeah. issue on his doorstep uh, was the road safety issue at Bewley Cross uh, and yes, uh, something indeed. that was instrumental in bringing about change for and introducing absolutely. the traffic calming measures uh, absolutely. in that yeah. area. He yeah. was the essence of his mm. community. Yeah. He was the voice of the people. He was the, he was the person who cared mm. always and he was always available and he was never... You know, he, mm. he was always kind, considerate, personable, mm. a very decent, honourable man. Yeah. Uh, at this time, obviously, uh, I think uh, it's only appropriate that party politics are, are parked. Uh, Declan Branica, a very good morning to you, and thank you for taking the time to be with us uh, to pay tribute to Oliver Tully, who passed uh, away this morning. Uh, like all of us, uh, you're trying to absorb this news, I'm sure. It's shocking, isn't it? Absolutely, uh, Michael. Uh, firstly, I'd like to express my sympathy to Aileen and the family, and indeed the, the wider Fine Gael family. Uh, you're correct. Uh, while Fine Gael was everything to Oliver, uh, uh, the most important thing in his life, uh, and I joined the council in 1981, were people. Um, uh, I was looking for words and listening to what Fergus and Peter had to say there, uh, and the, the, the thoughts that struck me most uh, about Oliver was his word was his bond uh, his commitment uh, to the environment particularly stands out for me and I, like I'm sure many listeners on hearing the word this morning we just got it um, uh, my last conversation with him believe it or not was uh, very shortly after the election where he had uh, hurt his eye um, uh, in, a, in a poster instance that he was taking down and obviously he the euphoria of having got re-elected and, you know, at some period of time to spend on Low County Council in 1981. Uh, I, I soldiered with him for 25 of those 
30 odd years that he's been there and people and 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 getting things done quietly um, many many of us uh, as his colleagues and maybe not his party uh, will remember his uh, he being whip of the council and how he would try and get consensus and again uh, heartfelt sympathy to his family and uh, the 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 Finnegale family, who uh, is, you know, he, he people say that you know talk don't talk good of people until the day, but I never heard anybody ever say a bad word about Oliver Tully, and I certainly wouldn't want to say that. All right, uh, he was uh, somebody uh, who was well capable of fighting political artic- ar- ar- arguments uh, and in a, a most diplomatic and pragmatic way. And uh, I think one of uh, the hardest issues that uh, the Finnegale politicians had to face into in recent years was uh, the issue of water charges. And uh, I remember uh, a time uh, that uh, there was a, a question about uh, Finnegale's future uh, as a, a party because of water water charges and uh, this is what Oliver Tully had to say about it. There will be a lot of flag for us. Some of it is actually part of what is demanded of us from Europe unfortunately and regardless of what was done or who was in government or anything like that this was coming down the road anyway and it's also part of the package that we accepted uh, towards funding the country and the, and the debt crisis that we're in. Unfortunately we have to be seen to be doing something to maintain the level of funding that we are receiving from Europe and uh, Okay, the people that are paying aren't are the people that created the problem, unfortunately. And I think the people that created the problem will have to be called to task at some stage, but the sooner the better. Um, but at, e- even at that, we still have to, I suppose, knuckle down to what Europe says at, at this point in time, on these issues anyway. Um, the water charges is something that was coming down the road. It's It's been there for two or three years now at this point in time. Uh, it's part and parcel of where we live it's more water conservation and I think if people are more aware of where the water is going that they may be more conscious of actually how much they're actually using That's what uh, Oliver Tully who died uh, this morning it, it really is shocking Richie Culhan, good morning to you Good morning Michael <coughs> How are you doing? Uh, well, uh, I'm shocked I have to say uh, as I, I think everybody is yeah, everybody is shocked. When I heard the news this morning, I was really saddened and shocked. And my deep, deepest condolences to Eileen and her family uh, on the on her tragic loss. Um, I, I met Oliver long before I got into politics when I was in Ireland back in the eighties, and um, he was very much involved in community. I know he was in, elected in, in nineteen ninety one. Uh, and is serving to this day, but he was a great community man, he was a great man to get things done, as Fergus has said, and he was a people person. Um, he was uh, a great inspiration to us younger people, if you could call us young, uh, you know, when we got into politics. I know myself and Kevin Callan got involved at the same time at, uh, in 2009, and he was like the, the rock that we depended on uh, when we needed a little bit of guidance, when we needed a little bit of uh, uh, a bit of advice uh, because he was such a consummate politician but not just that he was yeah. as has been said before he was a great family man he was involved in community he was involved with uh, Trey with the golf club he was involved with the, with, the, with the Gaelic club he was involved with the tidy towns he was involved in so many so many things got to do with his community and his legacy will be will be huge and his loss will be immense uh, for the people of North Lowe and indeed Drogheda I'm sure. Sorry, sorry, South Loud and Johanna, yeah. 
Yeah, shocking uh, and uh, hard uh, to take in uh, this morning. Uh, there is no doubt uh, about that. Thanks uh, for that, Richie. As you say, uh, you were elected uh, in 2009 around the same time as Kevin Callan. Kevin is on the phone now. Uh, Kevin, uh, I'm sure like everybody else, uh, you're trying to absorb this very, very sad and shocking news uh, this morning, the death of Oliver Tully. Well, my, absolutely, Michael, and my deepest sympathies, as everybody else has said, to Eileen and the entire family. Um, I met Oliver when I was 16, when I first got involved in politics. He was a crafty politician. He was able to get things done. But something that was very different about him was when you went canvassing with Oliver, you used to be asked in to the House. And that never happened with other politicians. You were usually ran off the doorstep. But Oliver would be asked in. People knew him. And I think in the most recent election, the fact that he topped the poll in his area without really the use of social media or any of the modern forms of politics, Oliver was a politician of the old school, and as Fergus has said, he knew his community, they knew him, and really and truly, the loss, I don't think any of us mm. calculated what mm. this is going to mean to his area at the minute. All right, listen, thanks uh, for that, Kevin. Uh, stay with us uh, for a, a moment, uh, Fergus, uh, and uh, we'll wrap up in a, a minute. But before um, your final words, uh, this morning uh, we'll hear again from Oliver Tully and a little bit of that interview when he was uh, elected uh, the mayor of uh, Drogheda he came into us uh, you may remember in around 2011 there was a presidential election and Gay Mitchell was uh, the candidate for yes. Fine Gael at the time uh, and I really thought that Oliver Tully was uh, delighted to have become the mayor of uh, Drogheda and was very proud uh, at the time proud uh, of his achievement for himself and also for the party because as you know better than anybody he was Fine Gael through and through The unfortunate part while they said that the system that we were using within Fine Gael is democratic as I said to somebody it's democratic okay if you have one vote mm. but when you have a percentage of a vote only it's a different story the problem was that it was taking five or six councillors to actually make up one vote that uh, the TD or the senator had so uh, where does if democracy come in where does the question mm. and I did stress it to somebody and yet he said the, the answer I got back was well you know at the last presidential election didn't have any vote at all so at least you have a bit of a vote now <laughs> but, <laughs> but how much mm. of a say you had we had 20% of the vote mm-hmm. which mm. was very very small yeah. um, the TDs and senators at 70 and the executive at 10% so it's even the executive have 10 yeah. was a huge number of votes not the decision you'd have made not the outcome you'd no. have hoped for no. but will there be a Fine Gael president I hope there will be. I mean, if the time goes the way it is uh, for Fine Gael, I hope so. Like, Gay Mitchell is a good candidate. Mm. He's proven himself in Dublin. He was in a very difficult constituency and he has flown the flag there on umpteen occasions and has topped the poll every time. Mm-hmm. Every time he went up for election, which is very unusual. Um, so he, he should be a good candidate. He, he should romp home in Dublin um, and hopefully he will do the same in the rest of the country where he will have his work cut out from because he's from Dublin and so he has to get out there he has to show himself and hopefully he will do the, do the work and bring home yeah, the goodies for Finning Gael again I think, uh, I think fingers crossed anyway and uh, yeah. he, is, he is a good candidate he's a very good candidate yeah. I and think Charlie Flanagan said it was the 21st of October wasn't it uh, he, uh, he, he uh, let, uh, yeah, he let uh, that drop or let he was telling his, his own uh, uh, boys in the doll first yeah, yeah, <laughs> uh, he let that slip much to the annoyance slip. of the Labour Party much <laughs> the annoyance of everybody I think <laughs> oh, well, okay very good well listen pleasure to see you in here thank you for coming in to speak to us congratulations as well thank uh, you very much on again. your appointment as chair of Louth County Council. I'm there any time you want to speak to me. Okay, thank you very much again. The late Oliver Tully, uh, Fergus O'Dowd, uh, <coughs> 
he'll be missed. He will be sadly missed and all of those tributes are genuine and real and they reflect what everybody is saying about Oliver. So again, deepest sympathy to Ireland and family and it's just a very sad day for them particularly. So they have our support. Okay, thank you for that. And uh, Oliver Tully, RIP. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, some shock at uh, the loss of uh, 65 uh, jobs in uh, Drogheda at Coca-Cola. We'll talk about that in a moment with Labour Party Senator Gerald Nash, who's come in to us. Good morning to you, and thanks uh, for taking the time to come into the studio this morning. Uh, I know that before we talk about the job losses, you want to pay your own tribute uh, to Oliver Tully. I absolutely do, and my my condolences to Eileen and to the family. Um, I knew Oliver a long time. my relationship with Oliver goes back much further than my 20 years in politics um, and his, I think, almost 20, 28, 28 years. I think he was elected first to Loud County Council in 1991. Um, Oliver's a teacher in my school, St Joseph's in Drada, a fine teacher. Um, his colleagues, I'm thinking of his colleagues in St Joseph's CBS this morning as well, who'd be devastated, as we all are, by the news. Um, I'm not ashamed to say I was a little bit emotional when I heard his voice on the radio a few minutes ago Michael um, he was somebody who we always thought would be there mm. um, and when you hear somebody's voice like that having received the shocking news this morning it's it's difficult to take um, he was a fine man um, somebody who wasn't showy uh, there was no drama no fuss about Oliver he got the job done and um, credit to him that he was a consistent pole topper in his area and that is very difficult to do the vicissitudes of national politics and the highs and lows of party politics didn't seem to matter uh, when it concerned Oliver because he was just a hard working guy with a solid reputation um, people not just liked him they loved him and that was reflected in the vote that he got in the local elections just a few short weeks ago where he topped the poll again mm. uh, in the uh, Drogheda rural area and that's a great credit to him and a reflection of the kind of person that he was and um, the kind of support that he would generate. He was just a real people person, um, not somebody who was overly party political or ideological. He was pragmatic, and Oliver was the kind of guy who, if it's the right thing to do for his community, you do it, regardless of uh, the, maybe some ideological contest yeah. or concern. Um, he just got the job done in an unshowy fashion, in an undramatic fashion, and he really, really will be missed. He was an absolute gentleman. Hard to take in the news this morning, there is no doubt. And uh, as you say, uh, I'm sure everybody will share in uh, the sympathies expressed for Eileen and his four children and indeed uh, the wider family and uh, neighbours and friends for that matter, as well as all of his colleagues. Okay, uh, what about uh, the 65 uh, jobs uh, that are to be lost at uh, Coca-Cola in Southgate? Uh, People will start... uh, coming out of these jobs from October onwards uh, was this something that was flagged or did this come as a surprise to you? We we spoke about this on the programme I think it was last January um, Michael and I subsequently subsequently had meetings and briefings with senior management of Coca-Cola in the area uh, and those from elsewhere about what might be done to try to save these jobs um, a review was initiated back in January of global services right across the world remember this is a global international company of course that services not just Ireland but practically every country in the world um, 
certain number of these jobs were reviewed, a certain section of the company, um, the back office uh, roles, finance and so on, mm. jobs that the company would argue could be done practically anywhere. So the decision clearly has been made in the context of this global review to cut back 65 jobs and draw are adding 10 jobs. So it's a net loss of 55. 10 new jobs will um, uh, come into the mix over the next period of time. So the company I was contacted yesterday afternoon and informed by a company representative that this was happening and they have been engaging um, throughout yesterday with uh, the individuals who will unfortunately be made redundant um, in attractive packages being um, proposed and um, for those I've spoken to uh, who may be affected yesterday, um, some comfort in that and the company appear to be dealing with this quite sensibly. But this is a big blow obviously for those who are in uh, in these positions at present mm. who will lose their roles between October and January uh, and it's important now that Coca-Cola restate mm. their commitment to draw it because this is just a, such an Are they not doing that in creating industry. the 10 new posts? I, I think mean, so is I that not so. a sign that this is a reconfiguration? It's a reconfiguration, mm. exactly mm. and um, I, I'm pleased that the um, tone uh, coming from Coca-Cola and indeed uh, in fairness, the meetings that I had with them earlier on this year, uh, they expressed a commitment uh, to remaining in Drogheda. Drogheda has been good for Coca-Cola, mm-hmm. and I think Coca-Cola has been very good for Drogheda as well, not just from the point of view of the jobs that are there, but also the fact that it's a blue-chip foreign direct investment company and should help us in this area to attract additional IDA jobs. I know that any IDA mm-hmm. visits that I'd organised over the years that came to Drogheda, first port of call would be Coca-Cola mm. and the expressions of um, faith that they had in Drogheda and the commitment that they had was important mm. uh, and is important I think, well, Very important IDA. to have a European base uh, particularly in this day and age uh, we'll be talking with Minister Simon Coveney in uh, the second hour and uh, I suppose it's companies like this that will be looking at areas like this uh, like Drogheda or Ireland generally uh, in terms of their future if the United Kingdom is uh, to crash out of the European Union Well that's right so nobody wants to see the UK crash uh, out of the European Union because of the impact on jobs on Irish society and the Irish mm. economy in general. Um, but you, there are obviously some upsides in terms of foreign direct investment jobs. And this area is particularly well placed to um, have the kind of idea investment that I think the area should insist upon. Mm. Unfortunately, we're not getting that. And it seems to me, um, from um, the information I have, um, uh, that um, at least to the Drogheda area, um, after 2017, uh, interest in drought has waned. From 2014 to 2016, that increased. Um, I physically made sure myself there was considerable uh, attention uh, mm. brought to draw by IDA. Uh, and you got to kiss quite a number of frogs before those frogs turn into princes, as it were, to use an analogy. Mm. Uh, but it seems to me the momentum has um, fallen out of that. Um, and it's important now that IDA restate their efforts to attract industry to draw. It draws a great place to do business. We're ideally located. We've got skill sets. We've got a massive number of people commuting to work in Dublin. Okay. And for quality of life, we need to make sure that those jobs are actually here in Drogheda uh, with the kind of investment that Coca-Cola has brought to the area over the years. And Coca-Cola okay. is a great advertisement for Drogheda, mm-hmm. in fact. Okay. It's very sad that these mm-hmm. jobs have been lost, yeah. but you know we do mm-hmm. need to redouble our efforts. Government needs to redouble its efforts to focus investment in this area. I'll give you just a small example, Michael, of how that momentum has very, very waned. Uh, back in 2015, I included in the National Action Plan for Jobs uh, the designation of this area, Drogheda on the M1 corridor, as a centre in this country for e-payments and for financial technology. Mm. Not a single penny since I left office has actually been received by this area to develop that concept. That's a shame. Uh, it's a desperate um, reflection, okay. I think, on IDA and uh, indeed on the 
uh, on the current government. Okay, thank you for coming in to us uh, this morning, Labour Party Senator Gerald Nash, and of course uh, Brexit is uh, the great concern for many people at the moment, and indeed how it will be managed by the next British Prime Minister. Will that be Boris Hunt or Jeremy Hunt, or Boris Johnson or Jeremy Hunt? Uh, Brexit is one of the issues that they debated last night. Get us out of the EU by the 31st of October. Will you resign? Delay does not deliver a deal. Julia, a th- deadline th- will deliver a deal. And we I, must I, stick to that deadline. I think it's a no. Jobs will be lost and my business simply won't survive if tariffs are imposed. What can you say to reassure me? I don't think that we're going to end up uh, by any means with a, a no-deal exit. Uh, that's to say, I don't think there will be the disruptive or disorderly Brexit that you fear. You said we would leave with no deal, with no tariffs. That was wrong. You also said, Boris, that uh, it would be a million to one I think that we would right. leave with no deal. Well, I have to tell you, that is totally unrealistic. The crucial thing is to prepare so we can get rid of it. This how, is a great how country. Costly, how costly? Well, uh, it's vanishingly uh, inexpensive if you prepare. When that's happened in the past, when Parliament's been shut down against its will, we've actually had a civil war. And I think it would be a rather curious thing to do if this is about taking back control for Parliament to actually shut it down. So my answer to that is no. How about you, Boris? Well, I'm not going to take anything off the table any more than I'm going to take ah, no deal so no answer. off the table. And I think it's absolutely bizarre at this stage in the negotiations for uh, the UK yet again to be weakening its own position. Who chooses our ambassadors is a matter for the United Kingdom government and the United Kingdom Prime Minister. So I have made it clear... If I am our next Prime Minister, the ambassador in Washington stays. I've got a a good relationship with the White House and uh, I have no uh, embarrassment in saying that. I think it's very important that we uh, have a strong relationship with our, our most important ally, the United States. Boris Johnson and Jeremy Hunt. What do we know about them? Well, a little bit of what you heard there and that one of them will be the next British Prime Minister. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, the doll spent a long time yesterday uh, debating uh, the Mercosur deal. Farmers will be outside of Lancer House uh, today protesting about uh, the deal and a Sinn Féin motion will call on the Oireachtas uh, to uh, stand against the deal. Yesterday in uh, the debate, independent uh, TD for Roscommon Galway, Michael Fitzmaurice, spoke about uh, the rotten meat coming from uh, the South American countries and the lack of traceability. He said they'll sign up to everything and they say that they'll do everything but will cod the EU instead. He wants to know if the government will support uh, the private member's motion this evening and put in place a legal document as a message from the Oireachtas on behalf of uh, the people of uh, this country and if the government will make alliances with other countries in order to block the deal. Uh, very good morning to you, Michael Fitzmaurice, and thanks for joining us here on uh, the programme this morning. You were also saying that when it comes uh, to these uh, South American countries, they slip up sometimes and get a a yellow card like on a a football pitch, but at this stage they've had five yellow cards from the EU. Yeah, well, first of all, Michael, um, if you go back on the history of the EU with deals that have been done in other countries, um, the reality of it is is this, um, uh, you know, a deal is done and then there's you will hear ministers from different countries, not alone Ireland, uh, stating this um, well, if they do something wrong, we won't adhere to this. But the, there is there is a system in place, be it Cambodia is one of them at the moment, that have got 
what you'd nearly call a reasoned opinion like Ireland gets us to do something bold in the eyes of the EU and you send back this and this takes about a year first of all and sending a, a letter over and back and you get a slap on the wrist and then you say well we have this torch and this torch and this torch and the back off again and anyone I think to be honest to people that will believe that if this deal goes through that then you have a chance later on that if they were bold that they'd be kicked out of it is codding themselves and I think we have to be honest with farmers especially in light of this we must realise that there's between 80 and 100,000 farm families mm. in, our, in Ireland, which is a lot of people. You can multiply that by 2.45. Uh, from the top of Donegal, especially down to the bottom of Clare, and out to uh, Longford now in your, in your own county there, um, and in other counties, there is suckler herds as well. But um, the beef sector is, you know, sort of, uh, it would be low, low money, uh, high tonnage, and... A lot of our stuff goes to England and a lot of our stuff goes to Europe. And uh, look, it's the bread and butter for a lot of parts of the country. And if you look at, we are looking at the moment, and when Richard Bruton came out with the document a few weeks ago, a couple of weeks ago, um, we're looking at the moment in the rainforest that there's a football pitch being taken out every minute. Mm. Um, and at the same time, you're telling someone in Ireland, uh, well, you've got to get rid of your sucker cows. Mm. Okay. Uh, and it, flies, they, it flies in the face of, of a bit of but they, 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 They've signed up to the Paris a- Agreement and under the Mercosur deal, they must heed the terms of uh, the Paris Agreement. Well, they've signed that? up to the Paris Agreement, Michael, uh, over a year ago. And they're, mm. still taking, they're still taking out this forestry. Like, let, let that, it, actually, if you look at the stats and, mm. go, and drill down through it, in June of this year compared with June of last year, 88% more forestry was taken out in the rainforest compared with June of last year, even after, after the same. But the argument that's being put forward is that this deal will bring about compliance. That seems to be the argument that Commissioner Hogan is making. Uh, Phil Hogan has uh, been nominated to be reappointed as a commissioner and he's also been saying, I don't know what deal you're talking about when you complain about Mercosur because uh, there's uh, a lot of benefit in it and there's already uh, a lot of beef coming into Europe. Well, if you, if very, little, very, very little additional beef in this deal, one and a quarter percent of the total that comes in to Europe, 99,000 tonnes, about a third of what we export to Britain at the moment. And he was making the point as well that there's already a quota from South American countries to Europe of 247,000 tonnes. Yes, and this is where the devil is in the detail. If you drill into the the agreement that's been put in place at the moment, and this is a draft, right? We have to be clear on that. This is a draft that the 99,000 tonnes is coming, um, the, the tariffs basically will be wiped out. But on top of that, that the 240,000 tonnes that is tariffed at the moment, that within the next five to seven years, they will be, uh, the tariffs will go out in 92% of all the imports. So that means 240 or 50,000 tonnes plus the 90, mm. which will be a race to the bottom. And on top of that, let's, let's look at the playing field at the moment. And Europe can, mm. you know, dress up, we can dress up lamb as, or dress up mutton as lamb. Um, Traceability at the moment in those countries is non-existent. Secondly, we know the scandals that have gone on. This has gone on for years in, mm. in that country. And and we know um, that they haven't, the, look, they haven't the compliance measures in place. Like but but in they, they'll Europe, have to have it, won't they? I mean, this is another point the Commissioner has been making, uh, that it'll be policed by the veterinary office in Grange and County Meath, and that will have to improve or it won't be allowed because they'll have to meet EU food standards. Look at Michael, the 240,000 tonne 
that was to come into Europe at the moment was to be policed. The same words were said when they were allowed to bring that in. And was it police? We see the we see the record of it, and it hasn't. Have they been kicked out? The answer is no. So we have to you have to have a level playing field. Mm. What's good for the goose is good for the gander. And on top of that, you know, it, the sad reality of it is with the Lisbon Treaty and all of that, we are in a situation that um, Ireland has you know, damn all veto power on it. Yes, it may come to the all. Yesterday evening we didn't know whether, it wasn't clear whether it would or not, whether we would have a, a complete say in it. But in my opinion, the MEPs will be mm. crucial in this and the Council of Ministers. But uh, as you say, uh, you can vote all, all you want, but we have no veto in this since Lisbon. Well, it, it was unclear yesterday evening, now, Heather Humphreys, the Minister Heather Humphreys spoke, and um there's like two different types of an agreement, like a giant agreement where there's different projects going in. Uh, and she talked about that that may have to come to each national parliament. But my fear, and this has been quite blunt about it, um, I was listening, yes, uh, Minister Creed a week ago stated that he was uh, nearly going to go over himself and stop the deal. And yesterday evening he seemed to water it down a small bit and, and that, mm-hmm. uh, that he was looking to see could we rejig the deal that was there. Get the so best possible deal, he said. Yeah, he said to really, a point where we thwart, diminish yeah. and frustrate the ambition contained yeah, well, in the headline agreement. Yeah, and, 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 and that we'd, he was on about a level playing field. Mm. And everyone wants a level playing field. People don't mind competition, but I'll tell you, um, in my opinion, with the headwinds that's sailing into the suckler and the beef at the moment, like we, you're very close to it there in the line of the Brexit, uh, on the, near the border, um, and along the, along the areas and even if you were blowing cork at the moment with Brexit, the amount of beef that we export to the UK is phenomenal. On top of that, we have this the climate change agenda, and on top of that, we have the cap. And if you have three or four things hitting at an industry, mm. it puts fair pressure on it. There's no doubt about it. OK, well, we'll have much more debate on Mercosur throughout the day, and we'll uh, return to it undoubtedly on the programme tomorrow. But thank you for joining us this morning, Independent oh, TD, way. Michael Fitzmaurice. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now let's find out what you've been saying to us. Marie Kearns uh, joins us with some of uh, the calls and text messages that have been coming to us uh, this morning. Good morning to you, Marie. Good morning, Michael. And perhaps not surprisingly this morning, a lot of tributes coming in from our listeners to the late Oliver Tully. Frances phoned in. She says that Oliver Tully was a great man for getting young school children involved in golf at a time when a lot of golf clubs wouldn't have taken in many children that maybe couldn't have afforded it. He said he led the way in uh, getting children involved, including her own, and she will be forever grateful to him for that. And she says, I'm just so sad hearing this news this morning. Uh, Another listener says, the shock of hearing about Oliver. Yes, Michael, many times he sat in my kitchen and nothing was a problem to him. Always helpful in a caring and honest way. Nobody will fill his shoes, in my opinion. May he rest in the council of heaven. Heartfelt sympathy to Eileen and his children. I'm heartbroken, says this listener. The Drogheda Male Voice Choir were in touch to say they are absolutely devastated at the news. A great supporter of the choir, 
um, Oliver was and during his time as mayor he never failed to attend all their functions and concerts. We have wonderful memories of occasions where he and his wife Eileen joined us and enjoyed themselves in our company. We are indebted to him for all the help and support he has given us and sincerely lament his sudden demise. Mm. Our condolences to Eileen and his family on their terrible loss. Uh, um, another listener says RIP to Oliver this comes in from Aidan I knew him well from the VEC meetings and the start of LMETB farewell old friend Uh, Oliver Tully says Anne was a true servant of Drogheda and the Baltray and Termin Fecken communities he always tried his best for people and I'm really shocked at the news this morning Councillor Paddy McQuillan phoned in to say that he just wanted to add his sympathies mm. to the family. He says that he really, like everybody else, he's so shocked and saddened at the news. And he just wanted to mention that when he started out in politics first, Paddy, people will remember, he would have been a Sinn Féin councillor at the time. He's now independent. But that Oliver gave him plenty mm. of advice. He had such experience and that experience he was always willing to lend to councillors when they were starting out. And he wanted to say okay. that. Right, there's a, a kind of a, a running theme in the comments, isn't there? And uh, obviously Oliver Tully will be fondly remembered by many people and I know that uh, a lot of politicians have uh, been in touch with us right across uh, the political divide to, to pay their respects and to, to mourn the loss of uh, somebody who was well got, the late Oliver Tully who died this morning. May he rest in peace. Now let's uh, talk about uh, the Third Age Foundation which uh, holds a, a very special special open day today and Anne Dempsey who is uh, the communications manager and uh, training facilitator, f- facilitator with uh, the senior helpline joins us now and a very good morning to you Anne and thanks uh, for joining us here on uh, the program uh, this morning on it. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. A day that you'll be reflecting on the 30 years uh, that the Third Age Foundation has been in existence, or at least it was uh, the Third Age Foundation when you started. 
That's it, Michael. Thank you so much. Lovely intro. Uh, yeah, or 31 years, actually, Michael. We began in t- 1988, so 31 years. And uh, so it's an open day to celebrate all of that and really celebrate what's going on currently as well because we've changed an awful lot over the years. And we want to welcome everyone today. We want to showcase all we're doing. We want to give people, uh, just welcome our members, but to give any new, anyone new a chance to see what we offer and it's going to be free raffle refreshments. Mm. We're praying for sunshine, and it's kind of mellow enough looking, isn't it? It's mm. kind of nice enough. Yeah, you yeah, know? yeah. yeah. You, may, you may be lucky. <laughs> we okay. won't uh, we won't put any money on it because uh, it could go either way at this stage. Oh, no, no, no. Don't put a hex on it. The yeah. Almighty's on mm. our side, we yeah, hope. I think so. so. Just, yeah. just for people who wouldn't yeah. know, Michael, yeah. I would just very briefly, it might be nice if I'd just give you an idea of all the stuff we do. Oh, please and do. Yeah. I've, mm-hmm. I've divided it into three in my mind. And first of all, there's kind of shared activities in the centre, in the Third Age Centre. Mm. And we have choir, art and drama, dancing, aerobics, bridge, movie mornings, computers, lots more. But that's the, it's a whole range of stuff for kind of body, mind and spirit at the centre. Mm. And then, and that's in, that they're kind of group activities. And then we want to run services such as counselling, hairdressing, audiologists, chiropathy. Again, more, more. I'm just giving you mm. a taster. Yeah, absolutely. And, then, and your work extends outside of uh, the centre, uh, obviously with uh, the senior helpline, but with other projects uh, such as uh, the knitting programme that you have. Tell us about that. Uh, yes. Uh, are, it's again, it's it's changed over the years and developed, which is the way everything healthy happens to healthy organisations. Um, we our members have been knitting for ages. It's what what they do as children, the what they're doing now, and it began when we used to go into the schools and teach children how to knit because the past three years of foreign country for children, they didn't know about knitting. You know, some of them, and that's. Um, now is a current project is called Knitting Memories Together and it's a project that Third Age is uh, uh, offering in tandem with, in partnership with Our Ladies Hospital, Navin, specifically the Alzheimer's unit there. And we did some research, Michael, and we discovered that Alzheimer's patients respond really, really well to soft, pastel, kind of uh, you know, easy soothing colours. So what we've done is we've knitted a whole series of blankets in all these colourways and we're offering these to the ward, sets of these blankets. The whole thing is being launched next week mm. in the hospital and we have a set for people to have a look at an ooh and ah over um, in Summerhill this afternoon. And again, it's just a, a new departure for us and mm. forging a new alliance and it's all in that age sector you know, third age is always kind of an engaged, uh, you know, re- I suppose representing engaged, well older people reaching out to their more vulnerable peers. Mm. Fantastic. Just a, yeah. a, a flavour, as you say, uh, of what you do at Third Age. People are invited, uh, whether they know you already or are about to be your next set of friends, they can come to the open day today and they can meet up with you. And indeed, LMFM will be there, I understand. Yes, uh, Patrick Shock is going to be with us, which is um, so grateful for that because that's lovely, you know. Have I two more minutes? Yes, go ahead. You're very good, because again, it's another ask. Uh, well, it's the first ask, really. We're, we've Again, it's a project that is in, in the stage of further development. The project called The Way We Were, and it began again with young and old, with our members visiting young uh, children in schools and talking to them about days long ago. And it became obvious that children had known, knew nothing about, well, it's not, you know, it's not surprising, about ink, 
you know, uh, fountain pens, inkwells, the old washboards, medicine bottles in glass, or like a huge range of older artefacts. So what our members did is we got together a mobile exhibition, Michael, mm-hmm. of a huge range of uh, artefacts. Everything we went out in, the members like in rural went out to the barns, went out to homes, went out to attics, and collected a fabulous collection. And it ran for many years and still going, but it's limping a little bit. We need some injection. In We used to go out and present it in schools and present it in nursing homes. And it was really successful. It really brought history alive to the children and it really was like reminiscence therapy for the people in the nursing homes. Mm. Really very rewarding on both fronts. But we need it to be refreshed. We've, we need more artefacts and we need more people to be involved in it. So if anybody out there is, knows their history, is interested in their history, mm. has some bits and pieces they'd like to come and bring to us, we would love them to be part of our new The Way We Were group. Great stuff. Okay. Nice one, isn't it? Yeah, that's lovely. It really is. Yeah. 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 I, 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 yeah. I know how important that can be for people. And we really? leave it there for the moment. People can hear a lot more by visiting you today or turning on the radio this afternoon. But thank you indeed uh, for taking thank the time so much, to be with thank us uh, on this, the open day for Third Age. After 31 years in existence, uh, thanks to Anne Dempsey, Communications Manager and Training Facilitator with uh, the Senior Helpline. Now, it's Wednesday morning, so the newspapers are in your shops uh, a little bit later than usual. It has to be said, Marie, uh, for obvious reasons. Uh, you're going to tell us what's on the front pages. And we begin in uh, Dundalk with uh, the Democrat and indeed the murder of Irene White. That's right. That's what the Democrat is leading with um, today, Michael. And they're reporting about the dying wish of Irene's sister, Anne Del Cassian, that all involved in her killing will be brought to justice. Inside on page nine, there's a story about Stephen's Ten Pond as the manager there criticised a gang who vandalised the park in the early hours of Tuesday morning last week. They damaged the barrier arms and electronics, caused damage to two tunnels used for growing flowers and attempted to break into a steel container and also believes that the gang annoyed the wildlife there. So, not good, Michael. Oh, terrible. And uh, we go to Drogheda next and uh, a tragedy which occurred on Boyle O'Reilly Terrace. That's right. About that poor seven-year-old Michael who lost her life. That's what they are leading with this week. Also on the front page, though, the papers report on the launch of FLA TV's coverage which saw hundreds of performers take to the streets and there's a a two-page special inside on that so lots of pictures and you may find yourself in one of them if you were there on the day. Okay, well uh, John Farley, uh, former Fine Gael TD and councillor has uh, been making uh, a lot of news and makes for the front-page story of the Mead Chronicle this week. That's right, they're they're reporting on that story as an investigation takes place by the party into exactly what was said and what occurred. On page 14 though you can read all about the plans by Mead Women's Refuge and Support Services for a brand new purpose built refuge for uh, Mead Michael. They're planning to build a two bedroom apartment types unit that will provide service users with their own living space allowing greater privacy for families so that would be great if that works out. No doubt about it Uh, and uh, we'll conclude in Dundalk. uh, The leader leading with uh, the murder trial uh, relating uh, to the killing of Irene 
and white. That's right. And inside um, it was a sports story that caught my eye, I suppose, with Wimbledon and all that, about mm. a local tennis player, Ruth Copas, who sealed another national tennis championship after winning the Irish Close at Donnybrook on Friday evening. The young player has just completed four years of study and tennis at the University of New Mexico, where she underwent a scholarship programme for the duration of her stay there. So perhaps a name to watch out for in the future, Michael. Indeed. OK, thanks uh, for that, Marie. Uh, some interesting stories there, which people might want to comment on. They might want to comment on something else they've been hearing or to raise an issue with us, as always. Uh, hopefully we'll find time to come back to some more of those comments uh, a little bit later in the programme. But in the meanwhile, if people do want to ring you, our telephone number is 1850-715-958. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, as you know, uh, the government has updated its uh, Brexit plans, its contingency plans, and has given new warnings on what Brexit might mean in the event of uh, no deal Brexit. Uh, we are to talk uh, with uh, the Taunish and uh, the Minister for Foreign Affairs, uh, Simon Coveney, uh, but uh, there's a problem making the connection, I understand, Marie. That's right, Michael, and um, hopefully we'll have it in the next minute or two. Well, hopefully we'll be able to make contact with uh, the Minister because there is some confusion about what was being said yesterday. Uh, they say that there'll be no change to the withdrawal agreement and the backstop, but they are saying that they're uh, willing to change the political declaration. That's no different than it was in March, but what seems to be different than was the case in March is that there will be some customs control. Uh, they had said that they wouldn't countenance mm. a hard border on this island and it seems as though the government is saying now that it remains committed to avoiding a hard border on the island of Ireland. But what does that mean? Because if there is no hard border, where are they going to check goods? Uh, because uh, the Minister <coughs> has been saying that there will have to be some checks on goods, that that will be necessary, some action somewhere, it seems. Yes, but that has been the dilemma all along, hasn't it? It has been the dilemma all along, and uh, I'm glad to say that we have actually made uh, the connection uh, with uh, the Minister now, uh, so perhaps uh, we can get some clarification on that. Uh, Simon Coney, as I say, is on the line. Good morning to you, Tanja, and thank morning, you for taking the time to be with no us and uh, 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 apologies uh, for the delay in coming to you, and uh, I'm not sure what happened, uh, but uh, perhaps uh, you can uh, square that circle for us, uh, if it's possible. You say that there won't be a hard border, or you hope that there won't be a hard border, or that you're committed to avoiding a hard border, but there will have to be some checks on goods. How can that happen? Yeah, well, uh, first of all, can I say, and my apologies for the delay, I think it was my fault, actually, on this end. The, the um, I mean, what we... What we published yesterday was a very detailed report on on how Ireland plans to deal with the um, the significant and complex challenges of a no deal Brexit if the British government decides to pursue that what I would regard as a reckless course of action because it'll be very damaging to the UK but also very very challenging for us here in Ireland um, and you know we break it up into lots of different sections uh, there is. There's about 21 different areas that effectively all have their own plans in terms of contingency Mm. planning. But the most difficult area uh, is undoubtedly how do we um, deliver on the twin objectives of, on the one hand, protecting relationships on this island, protecting the Good Friday Agreement and the structures that are linked to it, uh, preventing a hard border, and at the same time, protecting Ireland's place in the EU single market. Because if we don't protect the integrity of the EU single market, which Ireland is very Mm. much part of, then effectively we will get dragged out of that single market with the UK. Are we leaving uh, the single market? 
by default. And we are not going to do that. Is Northern Ireland leaving the United Kingdom? Uh, no, Northern Ireland as part of the United Kingdom uh, will be leaving the European Union. Uh, and in a no-deal scenario, Northern Ireland as part of the United Kingdom will also be out of the single market and customs union. Uh, and so um, the Republic of Ireland, which uh, and the very basis of our business model and our economic model is the free trade that's possible because of that single market. We have to be careful that, that if we don't protect the integrity of that single mm. market, in other words, if we allow for essentially an unguarded backdoor into the single market via Northern Ireland, mm. well, then other EU countries will simply not trust Irish products anymore, that they have been produced to EU standards and EU quality. Uh, and that would be detrimental to the Irish economy, and we cannot allow it to happen. Okay, what so, choices are there uh, in, so, fin- in so finding we're a doing, solution? Yeah, so what we're doing, and, and by the way, the, the European Commission, who've been hugely helpful on this, also has this twin object, objective mm. of, uh, of protecting uh, peace on the island of Ireland uh, and relationships, avoiding a hard border, yet working with with the Irish government, i.e. me, uh, to, uh, to put in place a plan that can provide checking systems somewhere, but not on the border, because I think that would create a security risk. Uh, and, we ha- and we have been working with them for, for weeks now uh, to try to deal with the complexity of, of this issue okay. to ensure that goods can be inspected can somewhere, you any detail, but well away from the border. Can you give us any detail on that, Thomas? Because, I mean, there's a number of issues here. First of all, no hard border. Second of all, Northern Ireland is not leaving the United Kingdom. And third of all, the Republic of Ireland is not leaving the single market. So Correct. what are the options in carrying out these checks? Yeah, so the options are, I mean, first of all, to understand what's needed in terms of, um, of goods that will be travelling from Northern Ireland south uh, and you know if you if you think about this it's not easy because uh, last year there was about 760,000 cross border deliveries coming from northern ireland south um, uh, there's about you know huge numbers of uh, of both lorries and vans with goods crossing that border every single day so this isn't straightforward and it's not easy uh, if it was we would have had the solution by now um, so um, there will need to be tariffs uh, 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 and customs checks in relation to the to that traffic. Uh, we think we can do a lot of that without physical inspection at all. Um, where it gets really challenging, though, uh, is in relation to what's called SPS, which is sanitary and phytosanitary inspections, uh, particularly around agricultural products and goods. Um, uh, and a lot of the cross-border trade involves agricultural products, dairy products, meat, live animals, and so on. Uh, and what we are working with the Commission on at the moment is how can we put a system in place where we can actually provide checks somewhere but well away from the border uh, in a way that would provide minimum disruption to trade and minimum cost or extra cost if you like and that's not easy uh, and, has there been any and, has there been any answers have you been given any options because you're you're not outlining any options to us this well no morning, i mean actually. and i'm i mean you'll have to forgive me for deliberately not yeah. outlining all of the different options because until we have agreement with the commission sure. on what's possible and what's acceptable for me to be talking about options would essentially be to be negotiating uh through the media okay and, and i i, I, I think that's more than reasonable but can you uh, confirm for us uh, that some options have been put in front of you that you believe are plausible? 
Well, I can confirm that we are discussing options with the Commission, uh, and uh, and we have realistic have, options, options that yeah. you believe to be realistic. Um, some of them are, uh, and some of them we're questioning. Um, but I mean, we will have to have agreement with the Commission well in advance of the end of October so that businesses understand what they're going to have to do as well. Mm. Uh, and I recognise that. Uh, I mean, because a lot of people think what you're saying is impossible, uh, that you're asking questions that are impossible to answer, that you're saying that there won't be a hard border, we stay in the single market, they stay in the United Kingdom, and all of these checks will be in place. But where are they going to be in place? Are they going to be in place in Dundalk or in Uri or Armagh or what? And, and there's nothing that makes logical sense to most people. Yeah, and uh, and this is difficult, which is why when we got our agreement uh, in terms of the withdrawal agreement, which involved a backstop as an insurance mechanism, uh, we solved all of these problems on the basis of what's called regulatory alignment. In other words, uh, what was agreed was that Northern Ireland would effectively uh, remain aligned to the rules and regulations of the EU, Single Market and Customs Union, and therefore there was no need for any customs checks at all, yeah. or, or SPS checks, for that matter. But because that's um, been rejected, the reality is, well, if well, they crash it, out it, as a result of that, that there will be a hard border, well, or, or not, uh, uh, because there'll be some solution which is, which is impossible for most people to understand, Honest. Yeah, but Michael, just because the British Parliament have rejected it, doesn't mean that we should. The British, uh, the British government have negotiated that and agreed it. Uh, what hasn't been able to uh, happen is the ratification of that mm. withdrawal agreement in the British Parliament. I know, we but have, if Donald Trump we, builds a wall, the Mexicans can't ignore it. If they try to walk into America, they'll walk into a wall. Yeah, well, we're not building any walls. No, I understand. Very clear yeah, on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, what but it takes two sides. It takes two uh, sides to make an agreement, honestly. That's the point. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. But, I mean, this is a negotiation. Uh, and Ireland, I think, has done a reasonable job in making sure that the Irish concerns have been heard and have been factored in to the agreements that have been made to date. And we will continue to ensure that Irish concerns are heard and understood. And we have extraordinary solidarity across the European Union. So we need to remain respectful of the UK, mm. but at the same time very firm uh, in our belief that the positioning that we've taken so far is the right one, okay. based on the facts and the complexity of what we're facing here. If, uh, if it's not possible to do a deal, because the British government simply refused to do a deal uh, and to live up to the commitments that they have already made in this process, uh, well, then we could be faced with a no-deal Brexit. And that is what uh, we will have to have a full contingency plan ready for uh, that we control. Mm. Uh, and and I, I think uh, you explained that in great detail yesterday uh, and yeah. that we shouldn't sleepwalk into this. So that's one yeah. prospect that we're facing. We could also get to the 31st of October uh, and no deal available to the British and enter into a, a general election election in the United Kingdom. Which right. of the two prospects do you think uh, has uh, the greater possibility of happening? It's hard to know. I mean, like, I think there's a couple of things that we certainly know today. I mean, there is not a majority in Westminster to support a no-deal Brexit today. But it's, it's hard to know whether a new prime minister might change that position or not. Um, so we just can't be sure, uh, which is why we have to prepare for all eventualities. Um, uh, and so I think the focus in Ireland should probably be less on trying to predict what's going to happen politically in Westminster and more on making sure that the issues that we control, uh, we're fully on top of. Uh, and so what I would say to, to small businesses and to all businesses that are listening 
Uh, if you trade with Northern Ireland or with the rest of the United Kingdom, uh, you have to make sure that you're registered uh, with revenue. You have to make sure that you have to have a, a, an EORI number. Uh, without that number, you simply won't be able to trade legally in the future. 36,000 companies have already registered, but there's still a lot of companies that need to do it. Uh, if you're somebody um, living uh, and resident in the Republic of Ireland, but you have a UK driver's license, uh, you have to change that to an Irish driver's license, otherwise you'll be driving illegally um, uh, after a no-deal Brexit. Uh, if you're living in Northern Ireland, it's different. You can obviously drive in the Republic then on a, on a UK driver's license. But if you're a resident here, you have to have an Irish license. Uh, and we know that there are 30 or 40,000 that still haven't changed over. About 30,000 have changed over in the last six or eight months, but there's, there's another 30 or 40,000 that haven't. So, you know, the government can only do so much here. Uh, we're putting a huge amount of time and resources and communications into letting people know what they need to do, whether they're businesses or individuals. But people need to take this seriously. Uh, otherwise, they may find... Uh, that they get very negatively impacted uh, after the end of October should we face a worst-case scenario of a no-deal Brexit. Okay, Minister, thank you indeed uh, for joining us here this morning. Uh, that's the Minister for Foreign Affairs and uh, Trade, Simon Coveney, the Thornishtip. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. Now, some 850 children with special needs in uh, this country are being taught at home by their parents predominantly because uh, there isn't a space available for them in national schools. Uh, this is an issue that has been raised uh, by Fianna Fáil in a private member's motion, which was brought forward by Thomas Pern, a local TD and the party's uh, spokesperson on education last night. Joining us now, though, is Fiona Olaf. Uh, the chair of the Oireachtas Committee and a Fianna Fáil TD for Kildare South. And a very good morning to you, Fiona, and uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, why is it that there isn't space for these children in the schools? Well, look, it's, it's a real problem. And that's why we felt it was very important and significant to use our last private member's bill space of the Dáil term to actually discuss this. And when you look at the figures, apart from the 850 that have home tuition at home, there are actually over, there are almost 4,000 children who are waiting on an assessment in terms of trying to get a place within a special school or within an ASD unit. Basically, there are not enough places within schools for our children with special needs who want to go to mainstream schools. And it is our absolute belief that every child is worthy of an education that is suitable for them and also that they can reach their potential. And if they want, if families want to have that within a local school where siblings go and where children benefit from socialisation, then that's really, really important. Um, as well as that, what we have discovered, we have put a lot of attention to this in our education committee that a lot of children with special needs within their schools are on reduced timetables or reduced hours. Mm. So basically this may mean that children are going to school but they may only be there for an hour or two. So we have made very strong recommendations in relation to those and also that in schools that some children absolutely need to have extra therapies such as speech therapy, uh, OT, that that actually should be put in place as well to support the teachers 
in these particular situations. Right, uh, and uh, on occasion this has been used as a, a disciplinary measure, isn't it? Because uh, the schools can't cope with behaviour. That's true, that we did find through the hearings that, and, you know, sometimes children with special needs, they, they can have more challenging behaviour. Absolutely, um, that doesn't go hand in hand with having a special need, but there probably is more time that that is needed. And we need to equip our teachers with the resources that they need for that. But uh, sometimes it may be for other reasons as well. And part of the problem is that there's no way of monitoring the situation in terms of reduced timetables or reduced hours. It's something that shouldn't happen. It really goes against the constitutional right of every child to have an education. But it's the information isn't being gathered by the department or by TUSLA. And that's one of the recommendations that we made at committee last week. And I am pleased that in our debate last night, the government have said they are going to fast track gathering that information to see what they can put in place to make sure that it doesn't happen. Because we don't know how many children are on reduced hours or to what extent those hours have been reduced. Absolutely. So the first step is monitoring it, ensuring that the inspectorate and that the department are actually collating that information so that we can see how widespread it is. Because at the moment, we are really relying on anecdotal evidence. But I think all of the members of the committee were quite surprised to hear how possibly prevalent it is. And we do have to acknowledge at the same time, Michael, that we have to look at the impact on other children within a classroom setting or within a school. And if it's not something that we would condone, but it is preferable if it's going to be instead of suspension or expulsion. But what we want to ensure that we do is that this would be a measure, a measure that would be used very, very rarely and that it would be something that would be monitored from month to month. And I think that's all really important in terms of ensuring that all of our children have a good and appropriate education. OK, and is it a, a question of resources or is it a, a question of utilising the resources that are available to schools? I think it's a question of both. And, but I, I think that in extreme situations that extra resources are needed and teachers do need those extra supports and extra training in terms of dealing with children that may have challenging behaviours, uh, maybe as part of another uh, syndrome or, or another um, diagnosis that they may have. So I think that we need to take a very holistic approach and do what we can collectively to ensure that the particular child has a positive experience within school and is in school and that that doesn't impact negatively on other children within the school setting. Okay, we have to leave it there for the moment because we've run over time on other issues uh, this morning. But thank you indeed uh, for joining us. Fiona O'Loughlin, Fianna Fáil TD for Kildare South, Chair of the Oireachtas Education Committee. Michael, Michael Reed, Reed on, on LMFM. LMFM. 
Now, the Children's Rights Alliance Access to Justice initiative is uh, an effort to ensure that all children, regardless of their location, status or situation, have access to free legal information when it's needed. As part of that, it runs a helpline and offers legal advice clinics. And uh, this week, it's published a report following the first year of uh, the operation of the helpline and indeed uh, the clinics. Let's talk about uh, this uh, with Tanya Ward who's Chief Executive of uh, the Children's Rights Alliance. Good morning to you Tanya and uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, You've heard from some 300 families over the course of the last year, is that right? That's right. Um, uh, We've had calls from over 300 families including 20 children. Um, uh, We've had children as young as nine contact us on on the phone line. Um, And essentially what's coming up is a lot of them are asking questions about, you know, what what age can I? Um, Children are asking, can I protest? Can I get a tattoo? Um, But sometimes they're asking more serious questions. uh, At what age can I give medical consent to mental health treatment? So we had a 17-year-old contact us. You know, could be very angry about it, finding out that uh, that you can only consent at the at the age of 18. So, what we would be advising young people in that situation is, well, that may be the case, but you have to make sure that they tell you what the treatment is about and the impact it's going to have on you, and that they still are obliged to listen to what you have to say in relation to that treatment. We've had calls as well from children um, really ringing on behalf of their family or advocating for their other siblings. Most of the calls we've had, let's say, on homelessness has really been about emergency accommodation and the quality of it. So um, we're not getting calls from families in uh, family hubs or children in family hubs. It's actually ones that would be in the hotels or the B&Bs, the temporary accommodation, which they're finding very stressful that they're living in, um, you know, one woman contacted us that she had two young tw- uh, children and she was uh, living in a place where there was no stair gates um, where there was other adults present and her children had no place to play and she was looking for support and how to get out um, we're also hearing from children as well uh, in the family law courts um, at you know, the law changed recently to allow children's voices to be heard by judges. Um, uh, but some children have talked to us about, yeah, I told them what I want in this case, and the judge hasn't listened. And these kind of cases will be around access, custody, uh, disputes, and guardianship. And usually when parents come to the family law courts, things are quite entrenched and there's a lot of bitterness but we are seeing a trend from children particularly in uh, situations where domestic violence was a feature of the family life where they are saying the judge hasn't listened to them and they're being required to go and access visits with a parent they don't want to spend time with. They're very complicated issues for anyone regardless of uh, their age uh, to tackle and uh, I think uh, courts can be very intimidating for a a lot of us uh, and uh, to get the confidence to stand up and speak out uh, is beyond a a lot of people and all the more difficult for a child especially if it's hard to be heard in the first place. Yeah and I mean we're getting calls from parents as well saying they didn't realise the child had a, had, a, had a right to be heard in these cases because the law only changed recently and families are being dealt with by district courts around the country. So the judges mightn't be aware of the legal change or the, the, the lawyers representing the families mightn't be aware of the legal change. And what sometimes children have said to us, they've got a bit frustrated that they, they expressed a view, and, but it wasn't explained to them, we've tried to explain to them, look, the judge only 
take, does take account of what you have to say, but he also or she also takes account of what everyone else mm. says in the case as well. So it's only one part of, of the decision. Um, but, I mean, it is very complex. One of the cases that we, we did encounter was uh, a mother who had two young children. Uh, they were twins, and uh, she was required to send her child on supervised access visits with the partner of the child. Yeah. So supervised access is your your partner would see the child, and someone would be supervising the contact between the par- parents and the, ch- and the and the children. Now. In Ireland, we don't have any special service that does that right now. And in other countries, you know, it will be part of the court service. You know, there'll be somewhere to go. There'll be a a state official, maybe a child contact worker that would supervise it. So in this case, the judge decided, um, yes, you have to go on these visits and you have to pay this local private provider, um, this unregulated company, to do this. And she had to contribute towards the cost and hand her children over in a car park to this person. But what she contacted us about... she was you know, very worried. Mm. She got onto their website. She couldn't find a child protection safeguarding statement. She couldn't see if they had uh, if they were vetted or not. And she didn't know who the service was or who they were. And right. she was, felt very concerned about handing her children over. Um, and we were able to point her to TUSA, so the Child and Family Agency, because they have a very particular role to make sure anyone in contact with children does have these policies uh, and safeguarding policies in place. But it points, I suppose, to the bigger problem in family law that we do need to reform it. We should have special family mm. law courts with specialised judges and services supporting families because it's quite difficult when they're in this, this situation. And I know that the Minister for Justice is, is developing legisl- legislative proposals around this. So I think that's very welcome. Uh, and I think we'd be keen to see it move as quickly as possible. So that children aren't pushed out because they aren't heard. Uh, and it's not that old adage of seen and not heard. Quite the opposite, in fact. But you've also been hearing from parents and guardians. I think a quarter of uh, the calls you received uh, were on behalf of children. And a lot of adults worried about their children for different reasons. One of them, children with special needs. And we were just talking about the Fianna Fáil motion yesterday, which highlighted how there's 850 children who are being taught at home because there's no place in schools for them. Yeah, that's a big challenge and we organised a specialised um, legal advice clinic with Inclusion Ireland that represents these families and they work with fam- children with learning difficulties and intellectual difficulties. Um, a, a big trend coming through were families who couldn't find a place for their child, um, particularly coming up to September. A lot of very worried parents, uh, the local schools just didn't have a facility. In one particular case, um, uh, the local education centre for a family wouldn't take the child because the child had two disabilities, because the child had dyspraxia and autism. Uh, and we saw that as a potential case of discrimination. You know, you're being discriminating a child based on, on their disability. And we supported that family to take a, a case to the Workplace Relations Commission uh, and the Amazon for Children. Um, but there's also other cases where the, the parents might get the child into a, low, a, a school that has a, the right facility, but they find that the local school transport scheme won't pay the cost because the school is not the nearest school to, to the child. Mm. So there's some anomalies that, that have arisen uh, that do need to be addressed to support children in this particular situation. But I have to say it's a, it is a major trend 
is children with additional needs not being able to get access to, to, to the right school or the right facilities. And I think there are lots of opportunities now when you, when you do work with these families, you see what the barriers are, you can raise them then with the Department of Education and with government and try and find solutions. Okay, uh, after a, a year uh, you're getting a, a picture of the type of problems that people have, but if people have problems uh, they know what they are themselves and uh, when they're looking for help, there is that help available. You've uh, the email address help at childrensrights.ie available from your website childrensrights.ie and uh, you've the phone line open twice a week Mondays from 10 in the morning till 2 in the afternoon and Wednesday afternoons then from 2 to 7 uh, that's a Dublin number 01902 0494 Tanya we leave it there We will be we've been organising legal advice clinics for families around the country so we've been to Athlone Carlo Limerick, Galway, um, we're going back to Adlone and going to Donegal. So if a family does contact us and isn't able to travel to Dublin, we will we will get a sister down to them if they need one. Okay, childrensrights.ie if people want more information or they can get the details from the radio station here. Tanya, thank you indeed for joining us this morning. Tanya Ward, Chief Executive Officer of the Children's Rights Alliance. Now we did say we would try to find some more time for some more of the comments because an awful lot of people have been in touch with us following the sudden death this morning uh, and uh, the shock news uh, that Oliver Tully, local Fine Gael councillor, has passed away and uh, Marie is back with us and uh, an awful lot of people in touch as I say, Marie. Absolutely, mm. Michael. As you can see in front of me, I have a mountain mm. of pages, people just wanting to express their sadness at his loss. Councillor Dolores Minogue uh, from RD who worked very closely with Oliver Tully on the council says that he was an absolute gentleman. He'll be sadly missed by Fine Gael, but also by the opposition in Louth County Council, she says. She says on a personal note, he took her under his wing in her first ever election and in real gentleman style. It was always a comfort to know he was at the end of the phone for any advice that she needed and extending her sympathy to his wife and children. Anthony Connor from Direct Democracy Ireland phoned in, one of the first to call in this morning and says that he had the pleasure of serving on the board of Diffie with Oliver Tully and was so sad to hear the news. Says that local politics has lost a true giant and again adding his condolences. Uh, we also had a text in from a listener who says, what a lovely man and a fine teacher to me with technical drawing in St. Joseph's School many years ago. Wayne was also in touch to say, Oliver Tully was a great teacher to anyone he taught in the CBS. He could be tough at times, but was fair and a great character. One of the ones I will always remember rather than the ones you'd forget. Okay. Mm. Uh, says he. Another listener says, um, very, very sorry to hear the news. I approached Oliver Tully uh, on numerous occasions over the years to help with a couple of issues I had. Always found him to be very helpful and tried to do his best for people. Mm. Uh, Mary says, so sad to hear about Oliver's passing. A massive loss to our community. Uh, rest in peace. We also had a text in from John who says a fantastic teacher who went on to represent his local area with pride and passion. Okay. Yeah, real sense of grief uh, felt uh, from uh, those comments. Uh, thanks uh, to everybody who took the time to express uh, their condolences. Uh, I'm sure it'll be appreciated by the family and indeed our condolences uh, to Eileen and uh, the family 
of Oliver Tully, his four children, uh, and indeed all those related to him. That's where we leave it, though, for today. Thanks, Marie, for bringing us uh, those calls and comments on the programme this morning. That's uh, our time for today. Remember, there'll be a podcast of today's programme available on our website, lmfm.ie, this afternoon. Thanks to Marie Kearns uh, for producing, Maggie McGuire for researching, and Chris Murray in the control term. I'm Michael. God willing, we'll see you for our next programme tomorrow morning at 9am right here on LMFM. Good morning. Bye-bye. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at LMFM.ie Spin your passion into a business of Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records.